Thank you to everyone who supports this show and all the shows in the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. Hey, we only do this stuff with the help of our fine patrons over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. And those patrons get access to a whole bunch of other stuff. So if you're not already, you become a Major Spoilers member by signing up at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Thank you so much in advance. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, we're here to review comics, talk pop culture, chew bubblegum, and kick Oh, wait, I got plenty of bubblegum right over here. How fortuitous is that? Plus, we've got a full slate of the latest news, a few wonderful toys, some casting hints, and the wondrous major spoilers team to put it all in perspective for y'all. So put on your dancing shoes and get ready to trip the light fantastic and don't skimp on dessert because Major Spoilers Podcast is all about the chocolate ganache. And it's on. Welcome to issue 893 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out this week. We have got quite the show in store for you. And if you're joining us from the Major Spoilers pre-show, we are continuing on the conversation this week. If you want to know what we were talking about, we are talking about Supergirl and WandaVision and zombies and kayaking and so much more. You can catch that in the pre-show over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. In the meantime, everyone's here. So let's get to some news. Welcome to Marvel, cousin. Uh, having found its director for the upcoming Marvel Studios She-Hulk project, Deadline is reporting that actress Tatiana Maslany has been cast to play Jennifer Walters in the upcoming Disney Plus series. Neither Marvel or Maslany's reps have responded to the announcement as of yet. Uh, Jessica Gao of Rick and Morty will run the writer's room and Kat Corio will direct the series. Um, I mean, I don't know what you can say about um maslani doesn't she play like 47 people in her show yes I mean, one of those has to be has to approximate this <laughs> i'm sure she's already she's already got the chops yeah and i mean from my from my perspective the way that you cast she hulk is you cast jen and then mm. you work she hulk from there whether you do a cgi she hulk or an actress wearing a you know a, a realistic lifelike rubber face mask but you know that Jennifer Walters is like five foot nine and she Hulk is seven feet tall. So we're just going to put her on the agent Scully box and have her walk around and it'll be fine. So in the DC world for the last couple of weeks, we've mentioned that things are shaking up over at DC universe as original programming has moved over to HBO max. Uh, they announced that that was where doom patrol was going to be making its debut. And we all saw the forest for the trees. And last week, DC announced that DC universe is changing to DC universe infinite because why not more adjectives, a digital comic service where your monthly or yearly subscription gets you access to 24,000 plus comics, early access to digital first series like Batman. The adventure continues downloads of unlimited offline reading. Uh, DC Universe Infinite will launch during the summer of 2021 slash will just eat up your subscription dollars uh, and basically function as a reader until and after that. Yeah. Now, the good thing is, if you already have a DC Universe subscription, that subscription automatically turns over into the DC Universe Infinite subscription. So you get all those uh, unlimited comic books. Essentially, that's what this service has become, which 
as I was talking this week to Scott Johnson, he's kind of down for it because he's not somebody that buys comics on a regular basis. But at six ninety nine a month, that is two comic books for most people. So yeah. if you don't care about reading your comic books six months late and you just want to read some DC stuff or maybe get access to some trades and some other stuff, maybe those digital firsts a little bit early, six ninety nine sounds like a pretty good deal. I think I'm a little disappointed just because of the potential of what DC Universe could have been was, you know, hacked away at the knees and turned into the HBO Max uh, service. I mean, they literally never put it on a television. You could only watch it. Mm-hmm from a computer or hooking up your computer to your television. And they never opened it outside of the United States. Like we've been saying since it launched that this was going to happen. Yeah. It held on longer than I thought. Well, that's, that is something speaking of DC this past weekend, DC celebrated Batman day and Lego stepped up to the plate with a new Batwing offering that will have adult model building fans in a frenzy. That's what Lego calls us adult model building fans. Based on Tim Burton's 1989 Batman movie, the Lego Batwing has 2,363 pieces and can be mounted on the wall so you get your cool bat signal uh, type effect or on a stand. Included are Lego minifigures of Batman with the non-turnable head, the Joker in his uh, in his uh, fancy dress, and the boombox carrying henchmen from the movie. The Batwing goes on sale on November 1st, 2020. 200 bucks for this thing. And I'm pretty excited about it. It looks really, really cool. Very detailed, very neat. And the uh, the action, fi- the minifigures look very cool as well. That figure, by the way, the henchman's name is Lawrence. Whatever his name is, that's fine. They just list him as Boombox Carrying Henchman. Yeah, he's totally Lawrence. But it's Rick and Morty for the win. As this week during the Creative Arts Emmys Awards, Rick and Morty scored a win for Outstanding Animated Program. Uh, the episode that actually nailed the prize was the Vat of Acid episode, which, again, is the only one I've seen this season. Uh, written by Jeff Loveness and Albro Lundy, directed by Jacob Hare. Uh, previously, Rick and Morty took home the prize for Outstanding Animated Program for Pickle Rick, the only other episode that I've seen. So I think the trick for Rick and Morty is make me watch the episode and they will win an Emmy. You can join in the conversation on these stories and a whole lot more over at our Discord server. You can join the Major Spoilers Discord server for free. There you can find a link in the show notes. There's also a link uh, to your Patreon account to the Discord server. And when you link those two, you get access to even more features like listening to the Doodling Review podcast live Thursday at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time right there over at our Discord server. Find out more at patreon.com slash major spoilers. All right, we're done with the main news. Let us jump into some reviews. And uh, Ashley, how about we start with you with uh, the best of Archie Christmas classics. Uh, The holidays are just around the corner and someone's going to need some stocking stuffers, I think. Yeah, so first of all, they're fully not. It's way too early for any Christmas nonsense to be out in this world. (laughs) You say that, but I spent over an hour today trying to get a stupid Xbox for the holidays. I know time is meaningless, and I know the people at my local Michaels don't care. Like, we got Halloween stuff with pilgrims with Christmas stuff right now, and I, you know, it's tragic. But I've reviewed a lot of the Archie Digest and collections this year, and I think it's because for me, it's the ultimate comfort food. It is what got me into comics, and it is always, always going to pick up my mood. And if you listen to the pre-show, you know that I'm basically held together by, uh, you know, hot glue and desperation at this point. 
And so what was great about this particular collection is the best of Archie Christmas classics had a lot of stories in it that I recognized from my earlier reading with some new and updated stuff. That's why when you go look at the artist, it says various because who knows? Uh, these are a lot of these are classic Christmas tales. It's very little new stuff, but that still brings me everything I want from a classic Archie universe. And one of the coolest things about the post Mark Wade Archie relaunch is that we get to have these OG tales along with all the new uh, quote unquote edgier stuff that Archie can be doing. Do you want to watch somebody chase a mall Santa? Do you want to see what hot dog is going to get Jughead for Christmas? This has all of those things. It has stuff that is just as silly as what you would see on Riverdale. And I see, I say silly with love and respect as someone who watches the show. And it is a genius stocking stuffer. If you are a child who had similar parents to me, I got usually an Archie or a Betty and Veronica double digest in the top of my stocking. I truly can't recommend this enough. If you are crazy like myself and you need something to review or if you're one of those people who likes christmas as soon as halloween finishes i'm blaming hmm. you for that mariah carey song being something that i know about i'm looking right at you friend through this audio podcast then you're probably the best person to pick this up i mean i'm gonna give it like four out of five four and a half out of five stars it's so good it's so light. It's so easy. It's so unexpectedly funny. Archie gets to kiss Betty and Veronica. Jughead gets to run away from being kissed. It's everything you could want, but it's got Santa and Holly on it. I truly can't recommend it enough if Archie is your jam. All right. Thank you, Ashley, for that. Trying to keep into the uh, current holiday season. You know, it's the, uh, what is it, the first day of fall, y'all. And uh, that means that uh, Halloween is just around the corner. So why not some scary, spooky comics from Boom Studios with this week's Unkindness of Ravens, number one. This is actually really kind of cool. Um, so we get introduced to a girl, Wilma. She's just coming to this new town where her dad grew up and she's in high school and the weird thing is, the first day of school, she finds out that there is a girl who is missing who looks just like her. And everyone's kind of like, who's this girl? And, and you know, why why does she have the exact same locker as the girl who went disappeared? And why are there two cliques of other girls who uh, 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 one seems like just uh, your, you know, you know, your snobby cheerleader type. And then you have another group who seem like your your uh, goth type and the goth type maybe have some magics all up in them. And uh, may want her to join their little group and not the not the snotty, uh, not a, the, not the snotty snobs uh, group. This is this is really interesting. It is really just an introduction as to who the character is and who the players are in this first chapter of Unkindness of Ravens. But there's something about this that I really dug. It feels like. It feels like a. Uh, if they had to reboot Sabrina the Teenage Witch, you know, the the chilling adventures of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and the only thing that they said was, oh, by the way, Sabrina is missing, but there's a new girl who's come to town, and she looks just like Sabrina. Uh, run with that as your story. And I really kind of got a kick out of it. I really enjoyed it quite a bit. I, I thought it was nice. The art in it is really good. Uh, the story was just a little bit short for me. I would have liked to have seen just a little bit more instead of just here's a bunch of questions and here's a bunch of characters and here's the girl's first day at school and who she has to interact with and deal with. But I like the main character, Wilma. I like her new best friend who is, uh, um, you know, maybe a little silly will probably be the love interest. I love the two different cliques in this group. 
It's really a fun comic book, and it's one that I was glad that I picked up this week. It's Unkindness of Ravens number one from Boom Studios. I'm giving it four. Ashley gave her Christmas uh, uh, um, uh, book uh, some stars, like you might put on top of your Christmas tree. I'm going to give Unkindness of Ravens four out of five pumpkins because of the holiday season. So there you go. Uh, That's out this week from Boom Studios. Let's continue the action this week with Matthew and Savage Dragon 252, which a lot of people have been giving some high praise this week, and I want to see if you uh, carry on and agree with everyone else out in the world. If I can interject, one of my favorite traditions of the Dueling Review podcast is when you guys tackle Savage Dragon. So when I saw this in the show notes, (laughs) I was very excited that it was going to be discussed. Savage Dragon. I have a love affair... Actually, it's a love-hate relationship with Savage Dragon going back to 1993. Um, And for a while there, every couple of years, I'd pick up about four issues, get mad, and go away. The last probably, gosh, almost 50 issues, I've been buying it every month. And about every other month, I go, oh my god, how am I still reading this? So, Savage Dragon number 252, written by Eric Larson, drawn by Eric Larson, inked by Eric Larson, but none of it drawn like Eric Larson. The very first page of this issue tells you what you're in for. It's a family circus parody drawn in the style of Bill Keen with the baby dragon family all around. And I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of clever. It's not really funny, but neither is the family circus. And then we transition into a note-perfect Charles Schultz Peanuts parody featuring the dragon children. And then a Rex Melvin DDS, which is totally not based on any real strip. And each panel, each page, is a parody of a different comic strip drawn in the style of those artists, all drawn by Eric Larson. So there's a parody of Kathy, drawn like, uh, what's her name who draws Kathy? There's a parody of Thimble Theater, drawn like E.C. Seagar. There is a parody of Doonesbury which looks for all the world like it's a Doonesbury, including the appearance uh, at the end of back in the day, they had Nixon. You would just see the exterior of the White House and you'd see voice oh, yeah. balloons that were clearly Nixon. Yeah, uh, or yeah this one's Carter. not Nixon. Yeah. yeah, this one is not Nixon and it ends with get back in your bunker, sir. Eric Larson has some very specific political opinions and he does not shy away from them. And I appreciate that. Every page of this book is brilliant there's a calvin and hobbes parody in here but the thing that's wonderful is they're all stories that fit in the savage dragon universe and continuity even when it's a just a little one panel gag making fun of the family circus it's a savage dragon story and that shouldn't be possible this issue should not be as good as it is it should not be possible to do a parody of dick tracy in the same issue as a parody of Foxtrot, have them work both as parodies and as bits of the ongoing storyline and fit within the Savage Dragon, how shall we put this, tone. Uh, because Savage Dragon recently, because Eric decided I make an adult comic, they sell it as an adult comic, I'm going to do adult things. So Savage Dragon and his wife Maxine have on-panel overt sex scenes that are just flat out yep it's a ooh, yeah yeah ah. i'm not afraid of sex i'm not afraid of talking about sex but there are times when i'm reading savage dragon where i i almost clutch my pearls but here's the thing 
if you haven't read Savage Dragon in a while, I want you to pick this issue up. If you are a fan of comics, comic strips, just the, the form of comics, you need to buy Savage Dragon 252. This is a tour de force. And even though it doesn't feel like there's a lot of content because most of the book is two-page spreads emulating a Sunday comic strip, this is incredible. This is really an incredible work. And as much as sometimes I want to smack Eric Larson, I'm like, Larson, just hush. You don't, you don't need to have an opinion on everything. My gosh, this is an amazing comic. Five slices of meatloaf for Savage Dragon 252. I'm impressed. I mean, I did not think that this would work. When I read the solicitations, I'm like, oh, this is not going to be good. This is going to be one of those silly moments that I'm going to be like, oh, this is creepy. No, this is good. And it's a peanut strip that feels like a peanut strip, but it's also a Savage Dragon strip. I don't know how they did it because there's chocolate in my peanut butter, friends, but it tastes really good. Very cool. Very, very cool. Uh, Rodrigo, you're going to wrap up our review segment this week with a book that comes out in two weeks from Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman. He has taken us all over the place to the realm of dreams and gods and other stuff, you know. Uh, so this is uh, Norse mythology number one from Dark Horse. Um, it's Neil Gaiman and P. Craig Russell uh, retelling classic Norse myths or, or you know, uh, basically bits of that uh, religion. Yeah, illustrated by various people um, in this issue. I don't know if this is like the standard what it's going to be or if they're going to have various artists throughout uh, the run. But this issue is uh, Jerry Ordway and Mike Mignola. So uh, already I'm like, yes, I am there for this. Uh, and uh, the issue, this issue is kind of taking stuff from the beginning, right? Just being like, okay, so let's get some stuff down. There's a tree and a dragon at the bottom of it, and there's an eagle on top of it, and the dragon and the eagle have kind of like a beef going on, but it's all the fault of a squirrel. Now that we've established that, some guy hung himself on this tree, right? And then you just kind of go from there. I I really enjoy comic books that repackage um, ancient stories myths or or actual religious texts or whatever i you know it's like if you like i like it when comics do the bible i like it when comics do um you know the upanishads or whatever because ancient storytelling is not like modern storytelling it just isn't it's very different and seeing the way that a story moves or what an a writer or artist uh, chooses to focus on can be very different and it's always very interesting um i like this a lot i'm familiar with norse mythology i never like studied it formally or anything but i would say norse mythology is probably has i would say that it has overtaken like egyptian mythology as the second most popular uh like sort of mythological group uh for westerners right it's like First and foremost, there's Greek mythology, and then after that, there's North myth Norse mythology, because Tolkien drew a lot from that. Obviously, we have a lot going on from that, and you know, most recently, uh, God of War 
uh, Kratos chopped the head off of like eight of these guys. <laughs> um, all the ones that hadn't had their heads chopped off previously. Um, so uh, it's very enjoyable. It's like a really good combination of things I like. It's classic myths. Uh, you know, nobody's uh, shoving a Morpheus or a Hellboy in here. Uh, it's just kind of the the myths as they were originally written with a lot of that complex verbiage taken out with a lot of that um, other um, sort of uh, take with, with stuff that kind of could meander, right? Where it's like sometimes somebody will be talking about, you know, what happened to this character and then they'll like veer into talking about the tree and back to the tree is like things are separated out and placed together in an order that makes more sense. Um, now, you always have to talk about and worry about, you know, it's like, is something being left out? Is something being, like, sanitized or anything? It really doesn't seem like it to me. But again, I'm not a scholar. If yeah, you so... are more familiar with it, you might spot some things that are not quite right. Um, but it's, it's, I would say it's it's pretty good. I'm going to give it uh, four and a half slices of meatloaf. Um, and I'm I'm really looking forward to the next issue. Very cool. So this is a comic book that is an adaptation of Neil Gaiman's North mytho- Mythology book that came mm-hmm. out, oh, like three years ago, I want to say. Maybe four, oh, three years ago. Um, and I've got the audiobook version of it, which is read by Neil Gaiman, which is very fascinating. Uh, and I've got made it about halfway through. It's a very long book. Um, yeah. The thing is, he says right up front, hey, these are not like I didn't go and do a bunch of research on, you know, all these different interpretations of, you know, Loki turns into a into a mare to go and get impregnated by this other thing. These are things that I remember. These are the tales that was told Mm. to me. And this is my recollection of all these these tales. Yeah, it's very much closer to the oral tradition than something, I guess, scholarly. mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's what I think is really fascinating about it. So for those of you who have read the Norse mythology book with Ashley, have you read it? Yeah. Okay. I'll be very interested to see how that translates from, you know, and I think, as you said, Ashley, the oral tradition. I like hearing Neil Gaiman read the, the stories to me because that is passing down the oral tradition. But I'll be very interested to see how it goes from gaiman's written word to his oral word to uh to comic books and see what's lost in that particular translation i think will be very very interesting all right i uh, that i think is our reviews for this week or our reviews for this week um if you want to read some more reviews make sure you head over to majorspoilers.com we got new reviews up every single day of the week and a lot of people checking out the reviews Sometimes we get uh, some creators that are out there saying, oh, man, thank you for reviewing this. Sometimes we get people out there who are like, ah, oh, ah, uh, you gave this a horrible review. How dare you? Please. I demand your head on a plate. And to that, I say, no. They um, only say that about me, Stephen. Let's be honest. Yeah, we'll have to talk after the show, <laughs> Ashley, because no, that's not that's not true either. Um, <laughs> it's probably my fault this time. But we can definitely head over to Majorspoilers.com for news, reviews, some great uh, commentaries, some great uh, feature articles. Uh, Today, I believe Christopher has up a review of the Petitioners of Zed. For those of you who are into your tabletop role-playing games, uh, he gave a really good review. And maybe if you're looking for something else to play at your next uh, game night, you'll want to go over and read his review on that. Uh, Of course, you can find out all sorts of different news like Dan DiDio is over there at the the, uh, Kubert School of of comic book design. 
uh, now or uh, maybe just want to go answer a question of the day. By the way, Matthew, uh, Mark Russell, the Mark Russell, uh, when I shared the uh, post about fake bands, he instantly responded and said, oh, here are my favorite fake bands. They're on the Twitter, so you can go check us out over there as well. In the meantime, oh, this remember I said earlier, today's the first day of fall. That means the weather is getting a little cooler. It's getting a little crisper. Uh, in the case of Ashley, it's definitely getting a lot crisper because things are just burning up over there. But someday, uh, apparently the winter weather forecasts have come out. And they said for much of the northern part of the U.S., basically from Oklahoma, whatever that parallel line is, north, it's going to be a little bit above average as far as the cold and the wet and the snow this winter. A little bit above average, or maybe a lot above average if you're up in the extreme north area. Sorry, Rodrigo, you're going to get a lot of storms, they said. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to want to keep your hands warm and your feet dry. So why don't you go over to our sponsors this week, isotoner.com and totes.com, where you can get all of your, your paraphernalia for going outside and enjoying the fall and the winter uh, seasons that are coming upon us. Pick some gloves. I like the kind, my, the kind that I like are the mittens where you fold back the top and it's got the open fingers so you can do finger stuff uh, out there with those. Those are my favorite type of gloves. You can go pick up some of those. You can go get the ones that fit up tight against your hands. You can go and get socks. You can go find all sorts of things at isotoner.com and totes.com. And when you check out, make sure you use the checkout code MAJOR, M-A-J-O-R. Do that at checkout. You're going to get 25% off. That's all. That's is that easy. It's like a Christmas gift early, Ashley, for people that are looking for early Christmas gifts. You don't want to wait this year. Postal service, postal service is going to be busy enough in November. So get your holiday shopping done now. Bought a Christmas gift this week. I did too. Like I said, I I I struggled to get the Xbox today. Done by October. Yeah, that's right. My mom did all of her Christmas shopping for us uh, last year, and so uh, you know, I think she did it on December uh, thirtieth. And uh, now that's, we have all of our, our uh, holiday gifts for this year. So there you go. But use those checkout codes, uh, MAJOR, at isotoner.com or totes.com. 25% off. Thank you guys for sponsoring this episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast. All right, everybody. It is time to jump once again back into the world of Atomic Robo. I am so excited to jump into this. The Atomic Robo and the Temple of Odd is a follow-up to a little bit of a follow-up to the adventures that um, uh, Atomic Robo had Fighting Thomas Edison. What do you guys remember? What that one? I, f- I forget what it is off the top of my head at the moment. Uh, but it's it's where he got to meet his uh, maybe first love uh, of his life, and then that kind of fell apart. And she shows back up in this uh, this issue. But Atomic mm-hmm. Robo and the Temple of Odd is all about the Odic energies and how um, the Japanese have started to incorporate that into their. Uh, weapons design, and because they're overtaking uh, China right now, uh, this is leading up to World War II. World War II hasn't started during this tale. Uh, the U.S. government has tasked Atomic Robo to invade, uh, slip into China, Shanghai, and uh, go in and stop the Japanese and shut down their Otic Energy uh, project and rescue the, man's, the, the main scientist. And in the process, he gets to meet some very interesting characters. I will say this. This is a very quick read. Mm-hmm. Um, I own the hardback version of this yeah. collection. Yeah. And I would like to let you know that major spoilers, it's quoted on the back. Yes. I've got the, uh, <laughs> I guess I didn't look at my copy. I've got the, uh, I only went with the, the, the paperback version of this. 
Oh yeah, there we are. Go out and buy this, it says. Major spoilers. That's probably me. That, yeah, that it sounds that. like you. It does sound like me. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yes. So you, I did get to sit in the hammock and read this uh, front to back, looking at all the pretty pictures and all the extra things that are in here. Uh, what do you guys think? Uh, Ashley, since you were already talking about uh, it's a very quick read, why don't you give us your, your, your thoughts on Atomic Robo and the Temple of Odd? Yeah, so the last time we read an Atomic Robo, I fell asleep reading it, and oh, no. I was not super warm on it. Um, it was one of the ones that's set in present day, mm-hmm. and this just summed up for me, and maybe it's because um, recently, and by that I mean probably four months ago at this point, I allowed Dan Slott to bully me into finally watching Indiana Jones, uh, <laughs> but I think what I want from Atomic Robo is this. And maybe it's because this is set like two years after when Jupiter Jet Volume 2 is set. Mm -hmm. And it does very similar things, although in a very different storytelling tradition. But like, I I thought this was like freaking great. I loved it. Um, I want more of uh, the Chinese guy with the rhyming rhyming names that I'm never going to be able to pronounce properly. Like, I really thought this was like super cool super fun and the hardback version that i have also has um uh is it dr dinosaur because i always want to call him devil dinosaur yeah dr dinosaur thank you they have his notes on robo in the back Mm -hmm. so this i've read several many atomic robos because they're cool because you can read them out of order like if you don't know what like i didn't know what the edison incident was or i didn't remember what it was and it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. um you're just like, okay, that's a thing they did before. Like, cool. I'm sure if you know, you get more out of it. But I found this to be the funniest volume as well. I thought the jokes were really good and how yeah. exasperated Robo was with the dumb henchman the whole time. And Matsudo <laughs> himself was very funny. So, I mean, this is probably my favorite Atomic Robo we've read so far. And, I, yeah, I read it in like an hour and a half in the uh, Oh, yeah. So, yeah, this is the... Time. I looked it up. It's the deadly art of science, which this one is, is kind of a pseudo sequel to because it introduces everybody to our characters, introduces the otic energy, which uh, Einstein was trying to to use or not Einstein. Uh, uh, Edison was trying to use. And so this kind of uh, picks up uh, from there and, and does, as Ashley said, play a little bit onto that knowledge of that of that volume. But this is like volume, man, this is like volume seven or eight, I want to say, of the Atomic Robo series. And so, you know, this does start to get into some of the things that we've talked about before that we start to get into, oh man, you kind of have to remember all of the other stories before this in order for it to make sense. We've, we've talked about that with Hellboy. We've talked about it specifically with Atomic Robo. Uh, Rodrigo, knowing that, did that diminish any of your uh, interest or um, your uh, like or dislike of this book? Um, I guess it did kind of get in the way a little bit um, because... A, it's been so long, like we we go, what, a month, two months between Atomic Robos? Oh, it's it's longer than that. I think this year yeah. we've only done, well, this year, this is the first Atomic Robo that we've done this year. Right. So, so there Oh, you no, go. the second one. We did Atomic Robo B-Sides. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, not only has it been a long time since the last time I read Atomic Robo, but it's been a really long time since I read Deadly Art of Science uh, and, you know, some of the, like, the, the whole Sparrow... Um, mm-hmm. uh, saga and situation and everything. So I was like, you know, I had a lot of it's. It's almost worse because I think when you haven't read before and you just get dropped into something, you're like, okay, I'm sure they know each other from somewhere. 
Yeah. But when you kind of remember it, it's worse because you're like, oh, yeah, 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 that's that person. And then you're reading through and you're like, nope, I need to go back and recontextualize the last three pages because I thought that this person was this other person. Um, and that kind of kept happening to me. I, I wish that I had just kind of let it go instead of trying to recall it. Mm. Um, but it did. It did kind of trip me up a little bit that uh, there was, in fact, some amount of continuity to keep track of, even though within, you know, within an issue of a character or a concept being introduced, you get a pretty big info dump about who they are and what happened. Yeah. So that kind of does kind of catch it up to everybody. Yeah. Matthew, what are your thoughts on, on this volume? You know, your initial thoughts, like, dislike? I was thrown by it because I, I feel like the last couple of volumes that we read were completely different stuff. And this feels like... Yes, every, you know, every volume is different. We've done the, 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 the previous two that we've done that were not B-sides, which are the short stories. Uh, the previous two we've done was Giant Kaiju versus uh, Robot Man. And the one before that was uh, the Old West. Right. And the Old West one rolled out of that Kaiju one. And they were basically more of a, to my thinking, like a modern story of Atomic Robo getting blown up, sent back in time, becoming the gunslinger Blibbity Blue, and all of a sudden, boom, we're back in 1938. So I'm like, did I read these out of order? Are, are we uh, doing they're these intention- in order? They're intentionally done. It, it Basically, yes. the way that they've alternated back and forth is they do a past history one and then more of a present day story one is kind of how they've been working it for the last a uh, couple of uh, volumes. Um, that's not always the case, but that that's how they've done it. And in this case, um, this one is, let's go back to the past. Uh, looking right. ahead, Dawn of a New Era is the most recent one. That one is, you know, this is what happens after uh, the, the Kaiju um, volume. Right. Did, did we read that one? We did read the Kaiju. We did read the Kaiju one. That's where Which Atomic one is Robo the one got where his. They find his head in a box and rebuild him. That is um, the one just before this. The um, not, yeah, the Ring that's of Fire. That's the last one that I remember. Yeah, the yeah, B sides one was just really short because it's like three short stories. Mm. Right. Um, the the one before that was Ring of Fire. That was the one with the the Kaiju, and then the one before right. that was the Old West one, and the one before that was the uh, the sort of Doctor Dinosaur where he got blown oh, up and sent yeah. to the past. Yeah. yeah, I feel like the last three were not necessarily a continuing story, but had through lines that this one yeah, doesn't. Yeah, little bits. Yeah, that kind of that kind of tripped me up. I don't dislike it. I really enjoyed the you know overt references to Indiana Jones, especially in the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, I like a good throwback story, but I also feel like, in in a way, and maybe because it's sort of a pseudo sequel, I feel like haven't we done this? I feel like parts of this feel like. This is classic Atomic Robo in a way that I feel like I've read it before, and I know I haven't. Well, yes and no, because the Deadly Art of Science did kind of introduce the idea of the um, the otic energy, right? Which is essentially this crazy um, pseudoscience theory. Well, I mean, yes, the real technology does build upon that, right? Right. but um, but this is Every also. Every time I see real, I think of Ryle Dox from like Supergirl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is this is also kind of like um, you know, the force energy, the energy that surrounds all beings, uh, kind of thing. But as we find out at the end of this volume, so and so, yes, they kind of introduce it with with Einstein or Edison in um in the uh, in the previous volume that we've been talking about, um, the Deadly Art of Science. 
that is kind of important to know in this volume. But at the very end of this volume, right, the Japanese still basically have everything they knew they need to continue developing this technology without trying to rip a hole in space time, which in a sense, if I'm not mistaken, is the same energy that they use to power their giant, their giant robots to fight the Kaiju in, in the future. So it all does kind of loop, loop, sorry, loop around and kind of tie in with a lot of the other things. I have a feeling, though, at some point, you could read these volumes in chronological order of when the stories take place, uh, and that might make a lot more sense to you. But on the other hand, you're going to end up then spending a lot of volumes in World War II or, you know, late 30s through the through the late 40s. Uh, with Atomic Robo, and I think that might kind of tire some people out, although, as Ashley said, and as as I've said, um, that's a time period that Atomic Robo really rocks uh, in, yeah, this, in that, this. You get that pulp sensibility. Atomic mm-hmm. Robo, weirdly, fits totally into that, in mm-hmm. that the character feels modern, but also very pulpy, and also very steampunky, and I love the fact that you can kind of throw him in any situation and have him fit. But I feel like much as with Hellboy, for me, occasionally it's difficult to piece it all together because we're getting it anachronologically. Mm-hmm. So we're getting these stories told out of order. And I feel like my biggest problem with this volume is the fact that, at least to my memory, the last few volumes felt like they were going, you know, continuing from the story previously. And this one is starting kind of a whole new chapter, which it's a good chapter. And I like the, you know, I like the nods to things like Casablanca. I like the nods to, you know, stuff that really totally fits into that period piece. And it feels kind of like, you know, the sorbet to cleanse the palate after having those weird stories and the time travel and the gunslinger mm-hmm. and all of that, getting us back to, oh yeah, this is what Atomic Robo tends to be at the base level. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, you, I mean, I can see where you're coming from on that. I, I have enjoyed all of the uh, stories. I think the reason why they want to jump back and forth so much is because it does follow that kind of Hellboy method, but also it, I think it limits them if they have to tell Hellboy adventures in a chronological order, because what if they do want to tell a really cool uh, story about uh, Atomic Robo uh, going to the moon in 1969, but right now they're only doing the uh, atomic robo and the um and the uh the the golden circle uh that means that they're going to have to wait you know maybe four more volumes or five more volumes before they can tell their really cool story about atomic robo going to the moon and being abandoned there by uh by uh, um what's his name in the wheelchair um Stephen Hawking Stephen Hawking and he has to and he has to put a a you know, spell out some some dirty words on the surface of the moon <laughs> to tell Hawking off. I mean, but, yeah, but I mean, also like from a writerly perspective, that's a way more fun thing to do because you get to run yeah. down the hole with all your plot bunnies instead of putting them in your Google Doc and going someday. But I've said yes. this in 1936, right. so I gotta stick to that to some to to, to at least yeah. keep up the pretense that this might kind of maybe be the real world yeah and i and i also like it too because look, they're in charge of it so they can do whatever they want yeah of course they can very successful well, but i also it. like it because you can jump around to those stories depending on what yeah. your interest is at the moment but it also says okay you know there's a gap in the 1950s where we haven't told any atomic robo stories let's do our research and find a really cool thing from the 1950s that we can put in here and make that the 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 atomic robo story of the fifties or Hellboy That's goes the one to where Mexico. Atomic robo jumps the motorcycle over Arnold's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
That's uh, what happened in the fifties, right? What we talk about redlining? It's great. Very funny. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now you made me sad. Fifties <laughs> is very topical right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know we try to be apolitical. I can help myself. You can no, direct no, your that's... tweets to nowhere. I won't read them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it did seem to indicate right now they've just finished up their their current one, Dawn of a New Era, which is a modern day tale. And then they've got a Dawn of a New Zine, which is, uh, I think, just a um, shortened version of or a black and white version of uh, Dawn of a New Era. Uh, but uh, they seem to indicate at the end of Temple of Odd that they've got a right as soon as World War II story starts tale yeah. coming up. And I know the very first volume of Atomic Robo is basically the end of the European uh, conflict, um, the finding scientists of Tesladyne, where he goes in and punches all the Nazis. And that's where oh, we kind of get so all of good. the. It is such a, it's so like such a great volume. Um, that I think we're going to, going to see some more world war two stuff. Cause uh, as Matthew said, that's kind of where atomic robo resides is in this pulp era, this late pulp era science meet, meets, uh, uh, mysticism. And I think that's where he resides best personally. Um, but I, but I do enjoy the modern, the modern stories as well. Uh, Rodrigo, what did you want to see in this volume? I, you know, I, I really wasn't sure. I, I guess I like to see some, uh, Thin explanations for pseudoscience and got plenty of that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, so that is, I mean, that is one cool thing is uh, Clevenger does go in and do a lot of research into these this. crazy things, even if it's pseudoscience stuff. So all this otic energy and otic forces and everything that they're talking about. I mean, that's a real theory and a real thing that uh, some guy made up in like 1863. Oh, uh, yeah. I ran down that rabbit hole because I was like, is this real? Mm -hmm. And it was so funny how much this crosses over with like you mentioned mysticism like with like hermetic stuff mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. like golden dawn stuff yeah. like it's it's something it's definitely that i mean it's i mean if you do want to die i don't know how far down in the rabbit hole you went ashley but, look, but wikipedia has a lot of great links yeah they i do. went deep on this okay cool <laughs> then, you, then you know it. all about it then and and can yeah. share, but yeah. So the minute that you, you start getting the golden that. dawn, you can tweet about Otic energy all day long. Yeah, the minute that you start getting into the you know the secret societies, that's one thing that I wish that I that if they were going to do a story, I would like to see him dive into the secret societies type stuff. I know it's always touched on here and there, uh, but I would like to see a deep dive into that 1930s through 1950s, uh, you know, secret cult kind of thing, and see what he can come up with. That they started to in the Knights of the Golden Circle, but I wanted mm -hmm. them to go even further in that. So sorry, Rodrigo, we interrupted you on your, uh, sorry on your, on your dive of what you would like to see. Uh, no, it's, I mean, I pretty much, uh, it's yeah. You take a thoroughly discarded scientific theory, you <laughs> shush it up a little bit and then kind of extrapolate it into something else. And it gives us basically, uh, guys that are superhuman as long as they're paying attention and within like a hundred yards of an antenna. Yep. Which is all, you know, Tesla stuff too, right? Sure. M Matthew, what about you? What did you want to see in this? Uh, Sean Connery as atomic robo's <laughs> dad. I <laughs> think atomic no, but that's, that's uh Nikola Tesla is atomic robo's dad. Sean Connery as, as yeah, David Tesla. Bowie as Nikola Tesla. Yes. Yes. Although have you seen, no, I've 
don't want to divert, but have you seen that new Tesla, the newest Tesla movie? Not yet. With, okay. If you're going to watch it, let me know, because maybe we can watch it and then have a discussion about it, because it looks very weird. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the basics of it, I think, are all there. I really like the, the you know, pseudo-love triangle, and I love the way mm-hmm. it plays out. I feel like... There's not anything that I definitely wanted out of this, but it's also kind of not what I expected. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just something that, you know, when you come into a volume with an expectation, Mm -hmm. sometimes that expectation gets, you know, thrown over the side. Sometimes it just gets, you know, gently chloroformed into submission. And I think that the second thing is what happened here. And that's fine. You know, but there there was the transitional issue for me, but I think that may possibly be on me too. That may be, you know, kind of an expectation of a linear narrative rather than the the Astro City time jumping thing. So, you know, uh, the the only thing I can think of right off the top of my head might be uh, a little bit more of a previously on or mm. you know, something other than a this is 1938 and now we're off. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Even that, you know, didn't necessarily damage the experience so much as throw me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure at some point, like I said, they will re-release all this stuff in some kind of a chronological order um, collection, which, you know, wouldn't be a, a horrible thing. I don't know what the current state of Atomic Robo is. I haven't been over to their site, Atomic-Robo, in a long time. Um, so I don't know what their, you know, what their current release schedule is. They were doing three days a week, but the last update I see from them is August 10th of 2020. So, um, wasn't too long ago, no, it, it wasn't, uh, but that's when they're they were doing, doing a, Kickstarter. a Kickstarter at that time. Um, but I also know that I'm still on their Patreon. And so I get a semi weekly or every other week, I forget how often they do it post that says, Hey, here's what we're doing over at atomic robo, uh, just to kind of keep you in the loop of, uh, of all their stuff. So I know they're still working on this and I know that this is a, is still a big deal. And I guess the reason why I keep bringing up Atomic Ro- Robo on this show at least two or three times a year is because I think it is such a really good series. And I, I really wish that more people would latch onto this. Uh, people in the know, as soon as they, as soon as they're introduced to Atomic Robo, really, really dig him and they become a convert. I just wish we could get a hundred thousand, 200,000 people to all figure out how great Atomic Robo is uh, on a, on a regular basis. And the best thing is you can go and read these volumes for free you don't have to use the uh, Amazon affiliate link over at Majorspoilers.com to buy the the trade or the hardback or the softback or whatever version you want to buy. You can go read them for free at Atomic-Robo.com and uh, not have to give them a single penny. But I think that if they had some more pennies, maybe 100,000 pennies, uh, then uh, then they'd be able to crank out more more often. So, uh, Rodrigo, uh, things that you, is there anything that you really, really hated about this volume? Um. I kind of had a different experience, I think, than Ashley did in that. Actually, weirdly, this volume seemed dense. I think there was a Mm. lot of stuff to explain. Mm. And I kept getting hung up on, you know, flipping the page. And here's a lot more explanation about what's going on and why, you know, who this guy is and what he wants and why this is important for that. And I think it's... This volume specifically is just a is a volume that was written later but fits in the middle. So it has to spend some time kind of weirdly justifying itself, I think, to being like, well, you already know what the end result of this is, and you already know what happens prior to this, and 
to me, at least, it kind of feels like, and both of those are like more exciting stories. So here's why you should be interested in this and why you should mm. be reading this. And I, I don't think they were unsuccessful, um, but I kind of felt like this volume really is like, even though we know that like, obviously Robo's not going to die here, you know, not, not that that's the only stake that there ever is, um, but we kind of already know where a lot of the concepts here are going. Um, it's a little bit, it just kind of loses a little bit of punch, um, you know, basically being jumped back into the, this like middle time period surrounded by other stories that we've already seen. I mean, I guess I can see where you're coming from, but then again, Indiana Jones, you know, the Nazis don't get a hold of the Ark of the Covenant. You know that the, the hero is going to win in the end, I guess. Um, you know that, uh, yes, when you, I guess it does take some of the urgency or agency out of the story when you know that the hero doesn't die. Um, although, you know, the, uh, the savage sword of Dr. Dinosaur well, where it literally blew up atomic robo into the past. I mean, that's, that was uh, pretty but, shocking, but it's not just that is that, you know, that in the future of atomic robo, China is not a world conquering superpower, like fielding legions of supermen. Like you already know that the bad guys fail, well, which is but probably that's the thing that is that the, more steam. the Chinese aren't the bad guys in this story. It's the Japanese that are the bad guys in this story. Right. Either way. But we do um, know that in the future, the Japanese are yep. using that technology to power their, their super weapons. Well, and we know that in the future, the Chinese have a hold of this technology as well. Um, which is kind of where we end up with this, but we, I, I don't know, maybe I'm misreading it, but in the future, Atomic Robo, uh, like, reconfigures himself into a uh, sexy new body, right. I think by tapping into, like, China's reserves. Yes, of, like, the power of their power grid. Yeah, which I don't know if they are using any sort of like futuristic thing or if it's just like he's remember. just tapped into like their entire power grid. Yeah, he's just tapped into their power grid. I don't remember okay. the I don't remember how they're transmitting it to him. I mean, I can see right. everything that you're saying in this that, yes, when you drop a middle story in, when you know the beginning and the end, it doesn't it doesn't feel as impactful. Um, I, I don't want to speak for Ashley, but I know that the reason why I thought that this read very quickly was. Because there's a lot of action. There's a lot of pages yes. of, I yeah. punch you, and no, oh, I punch you. And then suddenly you've got your uh, Chinese uh, resistance group coming in and doing the crazy things that they're doing. And so I think well, that we, that's the we, reason why it read fast for me. We rarely have more than two or three word balloons a panel. Mm -hmm. So the economy of storytelling is for real, for real. It's impressive as well. Yeah, I, I don't remember. It looks like they have gone back to doing full pages right now on uh, Atomic Robo. At one point, they were doing like half pages. And I don't remember if during this time uh, when they were doing um, The Temple of Odd, if they were if they were still doing half page, uh, half page uh, at a time posts. I don't I don't see how most pages in this comic are divided in threes. OK, assuming that they're do that you mean like half pages from top to bottom. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like if you look at it, Every page, almost every page in this comic has like a, that kind of like six to nine panel layout. Okay, cool. And they're divided in threes. Okay, yeah. I, so I, unless they were doing one, yeah, no, they were. It looks like third of a page. No, I'm going back into the archive right now, and they're doing full pages. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, uh, I think that's the 
there is a there is a very we got to keep this tight, and they are still thinking in a print edition format, right? Because uh, IDW Publishing for a while was reprinting the single issues of this after they you know after it had been up on the website, then the IDW had the single issues, then they had trade collections after the Kickstarter was done. Uh, so uh, yeah, they still have to kind of think in that in that style. I like simple, well, simple dialogue and I like lots of action. So this works for me. I, I definitely like, uh, atomic robo in a trade format. Mm-hmm, me too. Um, and I'm glad that they seem to have kind of figured out more of their distribution. Cause I, I definitely remember having to wait like three months to get like a shadow beyond time, mm-hmm. uh, when that came out as a trade, just cause it like ran out immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matthew, what are some things that you did not like about this? I think you've shared some of them, but is there anything else? Um, not really. I think that that's my major issue. Atomic Robo is one of those books where even when I'm not necessarily engaged, I feel like they know what they're doing. I feel like it's one of those things where it doesn't necessarily go wrong. It just goes places that I didn't know, you know, expect or want it to go. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like that kind of consistency in a story. And I like the fact that the main character is strong enough that you can throw him in any of these situations. But, you know, I think probably the biggest problem with it for me is on some level, I might like to read all of these stories chronologically. So maybe if that's ever an option, that would be nice. You know, the, the, the out of order thing is probably my biggest problem with this particular volume. And do you, did you say you had the same problem with Hellboy? I have similar problems with Hellboy. Hellboy and I uh, have a thing where we don't always meet on a thematic level. Um, there's a particular thing that I run into when it comes to a horror story of what I really like in a horror story and what I don't like so much, but mm-hmm. This is more, you know, this is a this is a two-fisted adventurer type story. Yeah. Somewhere between like a silver age comic and, you know, a Street and Smith Shadow Pulp from 1937. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of right in my wheelhouse tonally. It's just one of those moments where I'm like, it's Vril. <laughs> just say it's Vril. It can be it's Vril. It's we well, know it's Vril. No, it's it's Odic it's, it's Odic energy. It's Odic energy. Yeah, which is Vril. It's Vril. Uh, Ashley. It's Orgone. Uh, it's closer to Orgone than Vril. Okay, fine. It's Orgone. Orgone is funny. <laughs> Are you asking me what I didn't like about it? Oh, sure. I no, I was just going to have you, uh, because you did the deep dive on the Odic energy. Oh, okay. I was like, I don't have anything to say I didn't like about it, except my own <laughs> ignorance and not knowing how to pronounce some of the names. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. C-H-E-N is Zhen. So it'd be Chen Zhen. Chen Zhen. That's cute. Mm-hmm. I was like, I know what I'm saying and my brain is not right. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I really enjoyed it. My final thought is if you can get your hands on the Temple of Odd, uh, or even better, just go over to atomic-robo.com and check them out or go over to their Patreon page and support them over there. Uh, because I want more atomic robo in my life. Uh, you can't go wrong. This is, this is good. This is good adventure. This is good pulpy adventure. And I'm going to recommend Atomic Robo every time. As it says, apparently on the back here, Ashley, go out and buy this major spoilers. Thank- Exactly. So, yes, what are you waiting for? Go out and buy this. That is my recommendation. Uh, Matthew, final recommendation from you. Um, I would say it's definitely a check it out. 
Um, I wouldn't go so far as to rush out at a buying frenzy unless you know you love Atomic Robo, at which point, absolutely, go nuts. But it's definitely a book that I think will appeal to anyone who's into kind of, you know, the serialized comic book format. And the art is pretty awesome. And I have to admit, there's a, you know, a bit in the beginning where it's just like, hey, that's short round. Oh, Yes, now in fact, I get it. Yes, in fact, the name of the restaurant that they go to is the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is the uh, same thing from Temple of Doom. Yep. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's, yep. it's, you know, a Rodrigo, rest. final thoughts from you, please. Uh, this is really a return to form for Atomic Robo. Um, I think if you liked earlier issues or, or earlier volumes of Atomic Robo, you're going to find a lot to like in this. Um, uh, you know, my concerns about it, really come from having jumped around in this timeline and being like, yeah, but I already know that that's not a thing, but there's nothing wrong with it. Um, this is just by, by having that story that gets to hop around. You also have to deal with the problems that come from a story that hops around. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, I would say definitely if you've been reading Atomic Robo, again, this is a return to form. If you like Atomic Robo, go get this or go to their website and click on their ads, I guess, would probably be a good compromise. <laughs> yeah, or their Patreon um, page. Yeah. Uh, um, oh, but yeah, 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 definitely. Okay, Ashley, you get the final word this week. Uh, this volume of Atomic Robo is big science fun. It has some really cool things that you can explore more deeply that are both scientific and completely unscientific. For me, in the uh, Venn diagram of what I think makes an Atomic Robo story excellent, this hits right in the middle. Your mileage on it may vary, and that's cool, and that is what makes the world go round. But uh, truly, this is one of the volumes I cannot recommend enough. There you go. That wraps it up for this issue. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers Experience. As always, we love your feedback. We want to hear from you. So use the comments section at Major Spoilers to share your thoughts and reactions to this episode. Or even better, you can send us an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And don't forget, you can support this show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Majorspoilers. We'll be back next week to continue the pulpy action as we take on the shadow, because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we'll talk with you soon. If I had the x-ray vision of a Superman, I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little me would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven 
bitch like a man of iron. Might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. But would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler. This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.